Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us straight out of the weight room today, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Well, I'm just getting my pump on, got to get swole. Uh, it's, uh, it's still short sleeve season here in Tennessee. It's really hot. So uh, You working out that dad bod, coach? You got it, man. You got it. I got to get the dad. Uh, you, know, you know, they say you have washboard abs. Well, I have washboard abs, but... Uh, unfortunately, I have a load of towels in there, too. <laughs> well, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who has a serious bone to pick with the, with the College Football Hall of Fame. I do, yeah. I've been looking at some coaches, and there's a requirement that says you need to have a 600 winning percentage. And here's the one that like caught my eye. is Sonny Lubbock, the great Colorado State coach, uh, won six t- conference titles at CSU and a seventh back at Montana State. Went to a bunch of bowl games, had the Rams ranked three times in final polls, 108 wins in Fort Collins, 129 for his career is just underneath that 600 threshold. And if he had retired before the 2007 season, he was above the 600 threshold so for one for one season at the end of his career I'll never get in trying what's up with that yeah man uh, I don't know you're gonna have to send them some sort of letter I think if they're gonna respond to you because I don't know if actually they've entered the 21st century I don't know if they get email yet um I think they might just use mail mail it's down in Georgia coach can just drive down there and give them some help for us yeah well I'll, I'll drive down and uh I'll deliver the letter in a in a uh, very nice uh, message, and when I say nice, I mean I'll I'll kind of I'll kind of yell and uh, scream and cuss if I need to. That would be <laughs> oh so appropriate. I wish I knew this when I was there back in April, Josh. I would have uh, handed it in myself. But yeah. um, we have uh, week two was you know kind of down in the dumps, no real great matchups. Week three is back with a vengeance, baby. So we've got a lot to cover. So let's get into it with some quick slants. Uh, Josh, throwing it out to you first. Yeah, mine is uh, one of the unofficial teams of the Illegal Motion podcast. That is our lovable Purple Pirates over there in East Carolina. They've got an interesting road game at South Carolina. ECU very, very balanced so far. 355 passing yards, 211 rushing yards per game. Uh, As much as we like Ruffin McNeil, they definitely were a one-dimensional team. Nice to see a little bit of balance. Their offense is clicking and their defense has performed pretty well, although an FCS team will skew the stats a little bit. On the other hand, the Gamecocks, uh, they look like a must-champ coach team already. They are 123rd in points four. Uh, If this becomes a track meet, that does not bode well for South Carolina, who looked really bad at Starkville. So potential upset brewing for ECU two weeks in a row. Yeah, we'd love to see 
we'd love to see that. Definitely. Uh, I, I definitely feel that purple pirate love as well, Josh. I think they've got a real good chance to pull it off this week. Yeah. And I got to say, I feel a little pressured to pick two games because one of my quick slants last week was central Michigan. So now the spotlight is on me to find these gems. Ooh, no pressure or anything. Yeah. No pressure at all. there, cousin Sal. <laughs> um, all right, coach. Uh, what, what you got for your first slam? Well, the team that we've been hammering on pretty good uh, in the offseason, uh, Kevin Sumlin's Texas A&M Aggies travel to Auburn. Uh, they played a night game in Auburn in Jordan Air Stadium uh, for both teams. It's their SEC opener. Um, looks like Auburn's kind of found their answer at quarterback now. Um, he had a big game against uh, he had a big game against Arkansas State, so it looks like he's going to be the guy at least for the for the near future. Uh, quarterback Sean White. Um, Basically, Auburn came back after after losing a tough one to Clemson. They came back. They found some offense. They found some things that they're good at, um, and they're gonna they're gonna jump right in with that. Uh, Sean White looks like he's gonna be their guy, so they're gonna they're gonna ride or die with him. Uh, Trevor Knight again. Uh, he's does, he do any Ollie, does he do any Ollie three eighties? He does. He does. He does. And he, he he's att- I think he's working on his nine hundred, so he's attempting that as well. That's awesome. Um, Yes. So uh, Trevor Knight on the season, 43 of 79, 583 yards, four touchdowns, two picks. Um, Texas A&M has been lighting up the scoreboard. They've been playing a little bit better on defense as well. They might go down in our books. They might be a candidate or an early candidate, I should say, for for most improved um, on the year. Uh, Christian Kirk uh, just absolutely lighting it up for the the Aggies. I mean, they're just – Right now, they're in one of those zones where it just doesn't seem like anything can go wrong for them. Uh, you know, they're, they're 49 points per game, 557 yards per game offensively, uh, yards allowed, 336. So they've improved that number a little bit right there. Um, just going to be an interesting matchup because these two teams struggled last year. And they're kind of searching for that identity. And, and both both these coaches are kind of – it's like the battle of the hot seat. So whoever loses this game, I think – their seat's going to warm up, and whoever wins this one, their seat's going to cool off a little bit. So um, it's a it's a good home night game for Auburn. Anytime it's a night game in Jordan Air Stadium, it's going to be a tough matchup. So I, I look forward to actually seeing this and seeing what happens to it. Um, but this this will be a very interesting conference game uh, for the SEC. Awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I'm going to talk uh, in my first quick slant about my two hometown teams, uh, the UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans. Each have tough road games this week. We'll start with the easier road game, and that is for my Bruins. Um, they head out to Provo to take on BYU. Um, both uh, UCLA and BYU lost close contests in the first week, but bounced back in the second week to um, I'm sorry, uh, UCLA had a tough loss the first week of bounce back uh, in the second week to get a nice 42-21 to victory over UNLV. But the key for me in this game is going to be looking at uh, the rushing attack of UCLA headed by Sosa Jamabo. Um, BYU so far is giving up over 200 yards a game on the ground, and I expect that to continue with the uh, outstanding sophomore back who already has 181 yards and three touchdowns on the season. Um, but for BYU, they've played two games and had a total uh, margin of victory of uh, three combined points, so two real close ones. I think if it's a close game again, uh, I would expect to see BYU having been a little bit more uh, tested, knowing how to pull a close game out so far. 
uh, this year. So uh, BYU, though, um, you know, we're going to see Taysom Hill. We're going to see some Tanner Magnum. And, uh, you know, we expect to see them, you know, uh, go to uh, go to the air early and often, um, especially to um, big receiver Maroni Lalulu. Pututau, um, which is a name I just wanted to say on the podcast, quite frankly. Also, they're going to be handing the rock to Jamal Williams a lot as well. He's already got 220 yards on the season, but not a touchdown. So, But a lot of Taysom Hill, and we'll see if they can pull off the upsets over the Bruins. USC, though, heads up to the farm to take on Stanford. Stanford had a bye week last week after their uh, week one victory over Kansas State. USC uh, was was shellacked week one by Alabama, but had a nice win over Utah State last week, 45-7. to seven. Uh, You know, we expect Stanford to win. They're the ranked team. They're at home. They've got the best player in the country. But if UCLA, if USC wants to get uh, in on, on the fun, they're going to have to get the ball out to Juju Smith-Schuster, who has just not really been getting um, the ball thrown to him all that much this, so far this year. In the first game against Alabama, he only had one catch with seven yards. Last week against Utah State, a little bit better, seven catches, 56 yards, and two touchdowns. But still not sort of the game-breaking plays we expect to see from uh, Smith-Schuster, who is, you know, one of, along with uh, Calvin Ridley, the best wide receivers in the country. You expect him to go top 10 in the draft next year. So if they are going to succeed, Max Brown and Sam Donald, whoever is taking snaps for them, is going to have to get the ball in Schuster's hands and um, hope that he can get off to the races because otherwise if they try to pound the rock against the Stanford team, that Stanford D is not going to let them move the ball on the ground. So uh, I expect Stanford to win. The only way USC has a shot is to get it in the hands of Smith-Schuster and let him roll. So, um, Josh, uh, how are you feeling for your second one? Well, my second one, I'm going right back to the state of North Carolina. And when I was planning this, I didn't realize that I was going to be upsetting so many Tar Heel and Duke fans, but – uh, an interesting story brewing at, in Winston-Salem, the, uh, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. They, uh, they looked awful against Tulane, but still won. And then they had a nice road victory at the Blue Devils. They have Delaware this week, so a really good shot for them to start 3-0. and I don't think many of us expected to, them to do that. And going forward, they host Army, they host Virginia, they host Boston College. Those are three winnable games. They travel to Indiana, who's always kind of up and down. They travel to NC State, who, you know, we've highlighted some of their their issues. So they have a few winnable games. A a bowl is suddenly looking possible where most of us were probably thinking they would start out one and one, lose that Duke game. Some of us might have even thought they wouldn't lose to two lanes. So hats off to Wake Forest. And they're getting it done with just an absolutely – beautiful defense they're ninth in the country right now at points against just 8.5 allowed if they can keep that up in those winnable games they say defense wins championships wake's not going to do that but in their case defense will get them to a 13th game and that's that's not nothing for, for a team that's been down for quite a while well um since you won't do it i'll, I'll pat north carolina on the back uh huge bounce back win against illinois uh, a week ago, kind of a almost a dominating, seemed like what uh seemed like a dominating fashion uh, win over Illinois. So I'll give the Tar Heel fans, I'll bring them back into the circle so we don't lose them completely. But um, I just love, players, love that story. I just yeah. want, I just want the Tar Heel running backs. Yes, yes. Uh, year of the running back, ACC might start becoming the conference of the running back, and they all might be on North Carolina's roster. Um, anyway. 
my quick slant, I'm going to stay in the wheelhouse here. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do this like Spurrier. It's, it's working, so I'm going to stay with it until somebody stops it. I'm going to stay within the SEC, another interesting, intriguing matchup in the SEC. Uh, very odd to say about a bounce-back performance for a 2-0 team that's ranked 16th in the country, but this is a bounce-back game for the University of Georgia. They barely escaped uh, Nickel State. That's right. I didn't stutter. Uh, this is not – I'm not talking about West Georgia. I'm talking about the University of Georgia. They escaped Nickel State um, and uh, really just coming off an awful week of practice that week and not really focused. Uh, things, A lot of things just went wrong. A lot of issues became glaring. But, um, you know, they uh, doesn't get any easier for them. They roll into Ferriott Field in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, for a night game uh, against the Missouri Tigers, who has been rolling on offense. Uh, they're 1-1. One one. Uh, they come off a 61-21 to blowout of Eastern Michigan. And uh, Drew Locke, who probably didn't throw for this many yards all season last year, uh, threw for 450 yards, going 24-37. Uh, Marvin Zanders connected. Uh, he went 3-for-3 three three as well, so they – they were able to get the backups in. It was it was a good it was a good deal for them. Uh, you know they they've always you know with Barry Odom they've always played a a, a menacing style of defense. So it's it's going to be tough, especially with Georgia's unsettled quarterback position. Still, uh, Jacob Beeson looked like he was the guy, and they pulled him late in the game against Nickel State to finish it off, which leads me to believe that they're still not a hundred percent behind Eason. Um, and they feel like they need to play Grayson Lambert in spots just so uh, you can calm the kid down. But um, with this type of defense, there's no way to break in a brand-new quarterback into the, into the conference. So it's going to be a tough ride for, for Georgia. Uh, what they have to do is they have to find a playmaker at wide receiver, uh, and they have to play. They have to find some guys on the offensive line to step up. Uh, Tyler Catalina, the transfer from Rhode Island, had a struggle last week. The whole offensive front struggled last week against Nickel State. They couldn't seem to to, uh, to establish the line of scrimmage, and Nickel State's defensive line was reestablishing that line of scrimmage two yards back in the backfield. So um, defensively, you know, they just got to keep doing what they do, make plays, fly around, be opportunistic. Uh, Aaron Davis again saved it with a with a sack fumble. Lorenzo Carter's been a been a force for him. Trent Trent Thompson, uh, he, he's the leader of that defense. He's he's the uh, He's the Sunday guy um, on that roster, so he's he's going to be called up, called upon to lead that that unit and, and try to figure out how they can get plays and how they can get uh, possessions and how they can slow down. And I never thought I'd say this, but how they could slow down this Missouri offense. So, uh, going to be an interesting one. Uh, it 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 just falls it just falls short of the uh, of the deep routes that we're going to throw. Um, but this is this is one that could potentially uh, be caught at two yards and, and go to the house. So I'm uh, looking Great. forward to watching this tomorrow night. Coach, have they announced, has Georgia announced a starting quarterback for this week? They have not. I haven't seen. Uh, I imagine it would be Jacob Easton starting it and Lambert coming in if needed. I imagine they're going to go with the same. You think Lambert, same gets, more, you think Lambert gets more or less snaps this week than did against uh, Nichols? Uh, I think he gets less. I think Jacob Easton is going to kind of settle in. Um, he just needs to learn – how to check down, really. Yeah, and he's yeah, biggest concern. It doesn't help when his offensive line can't block for him. So um, That's true. 
Well, my, my, my second quick slant is just a, a real quick whip around uh, the rest of uh, the MAC, um, and that obviously begins tonight, Thursday night, with Houston visiting Cincinnati. Um, hoping to get Greg Gore Jr. back for this game. He obviously did not play last week in their demolition of Lamar, but Cincinnati is a much better squad that they will be taking on. Obviously, when you're talking Cincinnati, you're talking about air raid attack as of the last couple of years. Hayden Moore um, already has uh, this season – 510 yards um, and five touchdowns through two games. You can expect to see more of the same going forward. Uh, Houston, though, um, you know, they're the number six team in the country for a reason. I think that they will get enough offense to um, keep uh, Cincinnati's offense off of the field. But both of these teams are averaging more than 450 yards a game. Um, on offense, but the big difference, Houston only giving up 233 on defense, whereas Cincinnati giving up 413 yards per game on defense. So expect, uh, you know, big game from Greg Ward, assuming he's 100% healthy, as well as uh, their running back, uh, the Kervin Kevrin Justice, sorry, not Kervin, Kevrin Justice. He's, o- he's only a true freshman, but this guy is a real scat back. He can fly. Um, elsewhere around the conference, um, Temple is taking on Penn State on the 50th anniversary of Joe Paterno's first game in Happy Valley. There will be a special celebration uh, before the game honoring... 150th, not 50th. Uh, yes, well, very true. Um, <laughs> last year, if you guys uh, remember, uh, Temple absolutely obliterated, speaking of bad offensive lines, Penn State's offensive line to the tune of eight sacks and um, completely beat up on a Nittany Lion team. This year, both teams come in one and one, and and, uh, and so, obviously, uh, James Franklin has a new signal caller in McSorley. He's looked pretty decent through two games so far. Um, you know, uh, 541 yards, three touchdowns. But um, the real key to this game for me is going to be um, to see if Temple's front seven can get the same kind of pressure on McSorley that they did last year on Christian Hackenberg. Um, for Penn State, they're going to obviously have to shore up the issues on the offensive line and try to slow down that rushing attack that Temple brings. Um Elsewhere around the conference, just a couple other real quick hits here. Uh, Virginia travels. Virginia travels to UConn in a what would be a much better basketball game than football game. But a UConn one and one should be able to take business, uh, take care of business at home against a struggling Virginia Cavalier team in their first year under Bronco Mendenhall. Navy travels down to the Big Easy to take on Tulane. Um, uh, the Green Wave. Um, Already, uh, you know, coming off a big uh, 66-21 victory over um, FCS Southern, but uh, they lost earlier this year to that Wake Forest team that Josh was talking about earlier, managing only to score three points. Navy, we expect to put up a lot of points with their rushing attack. So um, expect uh, Ken Niamatololo's boys to be ready to go and be able to run, 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 especially on that fast turf down in the Superdome. Maryland travels to Central Florida um, in a kind of intriguing non-conference game. I think this could definitely be a tough game for the Terps um, playing Central Florida, but Terps definitely have more talent, but they're also a much younger team than UCF is. So the Americans got a couple really interesting games this week, um, and so yeah, that's it from my quick slant. So, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to circle back to Cincinnati real quick since you brought them up. Is anyone else as surprised as I am that Gunnar Keel hasn't gotten any playing time? I, I know Tuberville announced the depth chart with with Hayden Moore as his number one and put Keel all the way at third. But, I mean, this, this is a guy who, who's had good stretches in his career. Anyone else surprised that he can't sniff the field? He's a head case. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's completely mental. So 
So I'm not them shock me at all. You can't trust somebody like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the kid's a complete head case. That I mean, you saw it without starting with his recruitment and then all of his transferring. Um, he's, you know, he's got all the arm talent in the world, but he just he doesn't put it together when he's on the field. And I think he makes too many uh, poor decisions trying to throw it in to really tight coverage a lot of times, and he gets picked. And you saw them have turnover problems last year, and I think that he, I think that Coach Coverfield feels like uh, Hayden Moore just doesn't turn the ball over the same way that Keel does. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So, well, we're going to move on now to uh, my new favorite segment called the It's a Trap Game of the Week. And that it's is, a trap. Um, and that is the U, the Hurricanes, heading up Boone, North Carolina, to take on App State. Um, we have all sung the praises of Appalachian State here many a time on the podcast. But, Coach, your old head ball coach down from Georgia now uh, takes a undefeated Miami team up to a very, very stingy App State defense. Yes. Um, it, it seems like he's got that offense clicking right now. Um, they haven't really played somebody with too much of a pulse, so it's kind of hard to gauge. But, you know, Mark Rick in, in road games where his back's against the wall, especially early in his career, uh, he's usually he's usually guaranteed those pretty much. Um, but, you know, App State is a – I mean, this is a different animal. They're they're a team that they don't they don't know what it's like to lose. They don't know they don't know what it's like to be the underdog. They don't know how to be the underdog. Um, it'll definitely be a tough contest. I see it going a lot like the Tennessee game. Um, you know, they're pretty much in it or winning it most of the way, and then and then you know Miami will just kind of take over. Some of that depth will probably will probably take over. Um, in this game, but I mean, we thought uh, you know, was going to happen versus Tennessee, and obviously it didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. Well, you could probably say it did because they started making some boneheaded mistakes where uh, towards the end of the game. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's like it, you know, you keep wanting to say that, and they keep they're a very scrappy bunch, so uh, it makes them unpredictable. Um, but I, I think ultimately uh, Mark Rick has been in games like this uh, more so than Butch Jones was. He's a veteran coach. He's, he's been in situations where teams have let down. Uh, his teams in Georgia sometimes have let down and almost teams like that beat him, like UAB in 2003. UAB held the ball the entire second quarter. Um, and uh, almost lost that one. Uh, there's been some other games uh, like that as well that, that he knows he can prepare against. And uh, and I don't know that he sees this as a down opponent. I think he kind of sees this as an ACC caliber opponent. So he's probably preparing as such. I, I just think I just think the head coach on on the Miami side is a little bit better than what Butch Jones is. Josh. Yeah, this is going to be a tough game. I'm glad we made it our trap. And you know, coach said that Miami's offense has been clicking and. They are in some ways, but a lot of that has to do with dropping 70 on Florida A&M Rattlers. Their, their running game is really good, 326 yards per. But one of the strengths that we loved about this team was Brad Kaya. And that Florida Atlantic game, they won it 38-10, to 10, but he was, he was not on it. He had two interceptions, 17-31. of 31. I know it's early, but his completion percentage is down. His average is way down. 
His rating is down by almost 10 points. He, like I said, he's already thrown two interceptions this year. He had just five last year. I'm wondering how well he's picked up Coach Rick's offense. And if you're having a little bit of, you know, questions about if you're Brad Kaya, you're, you're not quite as confident as you normally are, this is not a good game to be going into with some doubts because Apple State – will pick you apart. Yeah, and, you know, obviously one way that they can especially neutralize Kaya is uh, keep, you know, keep the ball. You know, that rushing attack has proven for App State to be, you know, a real weapon for them. And if they can hold the ball for 35, 38 minutes, uh, really shorten the game against, obviously, a Miami team that is more talented, especially at the skill positions, that's when you're going to see a really, you know, close game coming uh, coming towards the end. So um, is anyone picking the upset here? I don't know if I'm going to be bold. Uh, I don't know how bold I want to be. Is I don't think a they're Miami? very close, close score. I can't I remember. I can't remember. Is it a night game? Uh, the game is at um, 9 a.m. Pacific, so it is at noon. Uh, that probably favors Miami then because I feel like App State, I've seen a couple other games at night, and – when they're wearing their all-black home unis in a night game, it is a sight to behold. So I'll say the daylight helps the Hurricanes. <laughs> all right. Um, I, you know what? Then I'm going to go ahead and take App State just to be difficult. So, How's that for the dumbest bit of logic you've ever heard on a podcast? I've heard much worse on uh, much worse shows than ours. So, um, all right. Well, uh, we, we've moved out of the trap. We're moving into some play-action deep roots. The first one, number one, Alabama travels to Oxford, Mississippi, to take on the one-and-one one Rebels. Uh, you know, Ole Miss has been a bugaboo to Alabama of late. Um, so, Coach, this is your territory. So break it down for us. Well, um, you know, you watch that first game with Ole Miss, and – you know they they have they have a great first half game plan against Florida State. They get a couple injuries, they fall apart, um, and that just and they have the depth because they recruit well. So um, you can't say depth is the excuse, but you know when you when you look at it, you know it. I don't know what kind of mindset's going on there. I don't know if they thought they had it, but you know that that's a cause for for concern. That defense. Maybe not as deep, or maybe just lacks the quality depth that, that we that we uh, had gotten used to in the secondary. Um, you know, you lose two quarterbacks to season enders, and it's uh, you know it, it, it's bad news. Uh, you combine that with you know Nick Saban, his bunch is just not making a they're not making a ton of mistakes. Um, they have the confidence there. Um, the only thing I'll say about Alabama is they committed uh, 12 penalties last week. Um, so they had some undisciplined moments. Uh, Saban, uh, when a reporter asked him of him and Kiffin got into a dis- uh, an argument, he said there was no argument. That's called a butt chewing. Um, Jalen Hurts played like, you know, he's going to start a quarterback. And he played, you know, he's a freshman. And he's probably going to play like a freshman. And for Ole Miss to say they're hoping he plays like a freshman here. Um, and, and he's got to, and you got to look at him as the favorite to start. I don't think it's quite settled yet. Um, what Ole Miss needs is more out of the run game. Um, they, uh, when they played Florida State, they, they ran for 67 yards. Um, 
and it's got a, and it's going to be tough sledding. You know, this defense reloads each and every year uh, with, with with Alabama, and uh, and this is probably after watching them a couple of times against USC, and then last week against uh, Western Kentucky. This probably just by looking at it, just by kind of eyeballing it, it seems like this is the fastest defensive front seven I, I've seen uh, Nick Saban carry. Usually, he goes with the big the big guys up front that that can uh, that can move a little bit. But I think this one, uh, this front seven is, is probably the fastest he's been. Um, so uh, what Ole Miss has in their favor, and I'll just go ahead and tell you what they have in their favor because Alabama is the number one team in the country. They have everything in their favor. Uh, what Ole Miss has in their favor is number 10, Chad, Chad Kelly. They have Van Jefferson, uh, and they have a whole cast of skill guys and offense that can that can light up the scoreboard. They can score at will. They can they – can, you know, they're dynamic offense. And so if they could get that going, if they could get some semblance of a run game going and get momentum on offense and they're playing at home, they can they can have a chance in this game. Where I think they're going to struggle is defensively stopping Alabama. And Alabama has really found a passing game, which is odd to say. They It's usually set up by the run, but I don't see the other way around. You have uh, – you have Ridley, Ardarius Stewart, uh, O.J. Howard, all weapons on the perimeter at, at Jalen Hurts' disposal or Blake Barnett or whoever ends up being a quarterback at that point in time. Uh, probably Jalen Hurts, if I had to guess. Um, they have all those weapons out there on the perimeter at, at their disposal, and uh, they're going to use them. And this is going to be – this is kind of like – I'm going to say this is kind of like the anti-Alabama team because it's all, it's all power and, and strength and overpower you and take your will and – this team is a little bit faster, a little bit more dynamic, and a little bit more explosive, and, and that's really that's just dangerous. So, um, if you're asking me to kind of predict this game, I think because of the injuries Ole Miss has, Alabama will uh, it'll be a slow beatdown. I think it'll be a slow beatdown because they'll compete, compete, compete. Alabama will pull away at the end, a couple touchdowns. Yeah, also don't forget about um, on the Alabama team, Garrett Dieter. He's proven that he can be a big play threat as well. You're, uh, you're right when you talk about this, this, uh, the, the passing attack from Alabama. It is a complete 180 from what we traditionally think. Also, though, we all thought coming into the year that Bo Scarborough was going to be the guy on the ground, but it turns out it's Damian Harris. Um, yeah. That cat is running for some big games every time he touches the ball. 9.2 yards per carry so far this year. So, Josh, how do you feel about things down in Oxford? Well, talk about a seamless transition. I'm glad you brought up Alabama's running game, Matt, because I saw some issues for Ole Miss in their game against Wofford. And I, I know Wofford is a triple option tack. They only attempted nine passes, but Wofford got 233 rushing yards on a respectable 4.1 per on 57 carries. And Wofford, you know, Mike Ayers is a hell of a coach. He's been at Wofford since 88 and has won a bunch of conference titles. He's a, he's a great coach. He's closing in on 200 career victories. Um, the Terriers have been down a little bit. The, their last three years, they've been hovering around 500. So this isn't even one of the better FCS teams to really push Ole Miss. And yet, Wofford was racking up the running yards. And Ole Miss's defense only forced four punts all afternoon and didn't really have too many three and outs. So Wofford was able to find the way to move the ball a little bit between the 20s. 
that doesn't bode well. I, I think Alabama's offensive line is going to blow them off the field. I think Alabama's running attack is going to reassert itself, and they're going to rack up at least 200 rushing yards. You've heard it here first. I'm going to go 200 plus for Alabama easy. All right. That's uh, that's a pretty bold statement there. But, you know, you're right. I just think that old. Well, I, figured, I figured if Wofford can get 233, that Alabama should be able to get 200. Yeah, you wouldn't expect Alabama's attack to be a little bit more balanced. Oh, they're not going to throw just nine passes? <laughs> uh, doubtful. But you never know. Well, uh, let's move on from there to uh, a matchup, uh, one of our uh, second matchup of two ranked teams playing each other. Um, that is uh, the the Michigan State Spartans heading in to South Bend to take on the number 18 Notre Dame Fighting Irish. The Irish obviously lost a heartbreaker first week of the season to Texas in double OT. Um, last week had an easy victory over Nevada, 39-10. to But this is, I think, probably going to be a defensive slugfest, Josh. So um, who, uh, who's, got the, who's got the upper hand here on defense? Ah, that's interesting. You think it's going to be a defensive slugfest because I think if Notre Dame proved anything against Texas, they currently don't have defense. I think Notre Dame needs to put the pedal to the metal and score a lot. And Michigan State, we haven't seen them. They were off last week and against Furman, they had a pretty lifeless effort. They they only won that game, I believe, 28-7. to So it was 28-14 even. But it's, it's going to be interesting. We... The, the sample size of Michigan State is so small. It, it stands to reason that Spartans would be the bruising team and want it to be low scoring, and Notre Dame is the complete opposite. They've shown that they need to get out and score a lot. So I have no idea what's going to happen. It's, it's a game that I'm absolutely befuddled by, and so I think it's going to come down to O'Connor, Michigan State's quarterback, we know LJ Scott can run. We know they have a good line, but he needs to, if he doesn't manufacture t- passing touchdowns, he at least needs to keep them balanced. He at least needs to pack up some yards. And most importantly, he needs to be clean because the only way Notre Dame's defense, I think, is getting off the field is when they force a turnover. Coach? Well, um, you know, anytime you have two different philosophies, you know, you have Michigan State with the ground and pound, grind it out, play ball control, end every series in a kick, let your defense go to work. And then you have Notre Dame, who's the exact opposite, who they want to line down, snap it every 16 seconds, and, and score, 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 and score now. Anytime you have two teams with those, with those same – or those, those each having different philosophies, whichever team – can dictate the tempo of the game and dictate it early is usually the team that comes out ahead. You know, for Michigan State, if they want to dictate that tempo, the slow, grinded, ball-controlled tempo, they need to come out of the gates and they need to dictate it early. Because this game, you truly have no clue. You can't predict it. You can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, Notre Dame goes three and out, first two, three series, you know, Michigan State, that's their chance. You know, Michigan State, if they play ball control, Notre Dame goes three and out a couple series, you know, they may not, they may not get the ball back for the rest of the half. You know, they – and it takes them completely out of what they want to do. So, um, if Michigan State wants to have any sort of chance at winning this game, they have to do that. And they have to do that early, like right out of the gate. Stay with Notre Dame. Notre Dame comes out. 
they have a couple of short, you know, quick scores. You know, it puts Michigan State on their heels and then enforces the game on uh, on O'Connor and something that they're not comfortable with philosophy-wise. It puts them on their heels, and Notre Dame is good when they get teams on their heels. Yeah, they definitely are. I'm also glad to see that Notre Dame has just decided to stick with one quarterback, go with Deshaun Kaiser and ride him. Um, he's definitely the guy for that job, we all think, at least. And so that, I believe, bodes well for them because we saw a little bit of both of them in the Texas game. And I think that, you know, obviously while they scored a bunch of points against Texas, I, th- I still think that, you know, the old adage, if you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have any, I, th- I really think that holds up here. So let's head then uh, to our third game of the week, which is where game day will be in Louisville, Kentucky, where the number two Florida State Seminoles come in to battle the Louisville Cardinals and this is going to be a matchup of two Heisman frontrunners, Lamar Jackson of Louisville and Dalvin Cook of Florida State. So, Josh, uh, Louisville is coming off of uh, a little bit more of a break than Florida State, having played in the Thursday game last week. So do you think that they can pull the upset over FSU? Not only do, they, do I think they can do it, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and say they pull it off. Ooh. And the reason why is – when you think of Louisville, you think of insane offense, you think of Petrino, but as we talked about in our ACC preview, this is what we like to call a callback in the industry, uh, Louisville's actually had a really underrated defense the last few years. And Francois, despite some really impressive numbers, he did it against Ole Miss, a team that, as Coach alluded to, had some defensive injuries as that game went on, and then he racked up a lot against Charleston Southern. He hasn't faced a team with the defensive speed that Louisville does. I'm not sure he's going to adjust. I've seen too many freshmen have a game where they've had some success, they get a little overconfident, and then they finally face a strong defensive team. And those windows aren't as wide open as they were the first few weeks. And they start making some mistakes, start throwing some interceptions. I think Louisville defense comes up with a pick or two that will change the complexion of the game. I'm going to go with Louisville in a big upset, shaking up the college football playoffs early. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think for Francois, what what concerns me about him uh, also, uh, if what concerns me about him is it took him a full half to settle in and adjust to Ole Miss's speed on, on defense. Um, of course, Charleston Southern is, is a glorified scrimmage, so we can't really uh, use that too much. But um, if Francois takes a half to adjust, it may be too late because Louisville is not that type. You know, Ole Miss, I think, uh, between a combination of Ole Miss and Florida State's defense, and a little bit of Dalvin Cook kept Florida State in the game to where they allowed Francois to get comfortable, and then that's where they went out and got him. If Florida State can do the same thing against Louisville and force Louisville to uh, to stay in a tight game, when Francois settles in, he's dangerous. When he doesn't, he's the exact opposite. He is dangerous for Florida State. He is erratic. He is He's downright terrible when, when, when he's not settled in and adjusted. So he's kind of uh, Jekyll and Hyde uh, with his style of play. And if Louisville can take take advantage of the Hyde part, 
when Jekyll finally shows up, you know, it might be too, a little too late. I'm calling an upset here with Louisville. I think they can do it. Um, I think they have it in them. I think Lamar Jackson um, has it in him, And I think when his buddy Samuel sits next to him on the bench, I think Samuel L. Jackson has it in them to, uh, to make this upset happen. I, I had to work that in there somehow. I think I did it. I think I succeeded. But um, it's a road game for Florida State. Um, they've typically struggled in that stadium. I think the first time uh, back in, I think, 06 or something where uh, it was a Thursday night game and Florida State was heavily favored. They rolled into Papa John Stadium and, and immediately got boat raced right back out. It was a driving rainstorm. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think they leave Louisville with, uh, with a loss. All right. I think that I guess I'm going, I guess I'm going against you guys. I think that Florida State's going to pull it out. And I believe that they're just going to give the rock to Dalvin Cook and just try to shorten the game up. Florida State ha- is by far a much, has much more talented secondary than um, Louisville has gone up against so far this year. Even without uh, Derwin James, who is out because of injury, uh, they still have uh, tons and tons of talent in their defensive backfield. And it's going to be a close one, but I see Florida State winning a, you know, a, a 31 to 27 type ball game. So let's move on to um, a interesting Pac-12 Big Ten matchup where the number 22 Oregon heads to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the 2-0 Cornhuskers. And the Cornhuskers have been kind of a revelation so far this year. Uh, Josh, I know uh, you like them. You have them in your personal top 25 this week. So which of these two high-flying offenses is going to uh, get the better? Well... I think that Oregon is currently ranked based on body of previous work because the UC Davis Aggies put up 28 points on them, and it wasn't all garbage time like the fourth quarter. They had 21 points before the fourth quarter. They get, the Ducks gave up 303 passing yards in that game. Then against Virginia, they gave up 26 points, 20 of which came in the first three quarters, and they gave up 193 passing yards uh, to Eckert, and the leading rusher for the Cavs at 126 yards. So it's business as usual where Oregon has no defense. Nebraska, on the other hand, they have not been the black shirts of old, except this year they're finally showing some signs of life. They forced a ton of turnovers. I believe they forced six turnovers in seven second-half possessions for Wyoming last week. They've given up a total of 27 points on the year. That's it. Nebraska has the offensive chops, and they might just have the defensive chops. I think that Oregon is finally going to be shown that not the program they were with Chip Kelly. I'm going Huskers big. On the strength of Tommy Armstrong Jr., doing it with his legs, doing it with his arms, Ducks give up points left and right. Coach? Yeah, I mean, defense Defense is the key here. Uh, Oregon has none of it. Nebraska has enough of it. And, uh, you know, I think that Oregon's style of play, you need a defense that can deuce because what happens when your offense goes cold or what happens when your offense misses a couple of series? If your defense is, is non-existent, then you, if you don't score on every drive, you're screwed. 
have the top-notch offense and just whatever we can get on defense, it does not matter. I feel like Nebraska scout team could probably produce a better defense. Uh, I bet I bet Nebraska scout team was giving um, the first group more more fits than Oregon's defense will actually give them. So um, Tommy Armstrong is going to have his way with the with the Ducks. It's a home game in Lincoln. Um, they don't like to lose at home. I think I think Nebraska's starting to finally get a little bit of that back. I think they're finally starting to kind of regain. I'm not saying they're all the way there yet. I'm not saying they're almost there. I'm saying they're on that path and heading in that direction. Uh, they're getting better and better and better. And maybe we just needed to be patient with Mike Riley. I don't know. We'll see this weekend. If they win dominating fashion, I will I will say I will say that Mike Riley is doing a tremendous job. If they come out and get boat raced, then maybe we were right. Um, but Nebraska does have that chance. The ball's in their court. I think it's their game to lose, and I don't think they lose it. I think they're going to win. They're going to win big. Well, the other thing is, obviously, Mike Riley has a lot of experience coaching at Oregon, being at Oregon State for so long. So you've got, you got to think he's got you know a couple tricks up his sleeve that he's been saving up for this game. Um, you know, Dakota Prukop has been uh, pretty darn good, though, so far for that Oregon offense. Uh, 602 yards, six touchdowns on the season already. Royce Freeman uh, toting the rock. You know, that offense, you know, we're talking about how bad their defense is, and their defense is not good. But they can score in bunches. Royce Freeman is having himself a really, really nice year so far. Already has 294 yards on the ground. So it's it's going to be a high-scoring one. The over-under is at 74, and I think it's going to blow by this. We're going to see something in the 90s. Um, these teams um, combined to average 96 points per game. So I don't know how they got that over-under at 74. So I would uh, take, take the over and bet heavily on that if you were going to be in Vegas this weekend. Our final deep root uh, goes to the game of the week. Um, Ohio State at Oklahoma in Norman. Uh, Oklahoma looking for a, uh, a much better showing than they had against the last ranked team they played, Houston, back in week one. Ohio State uh, still trying to, um, you know, continue rolling as they have been. A uh, little bulletin board material, though, from uh, the Oklahoma uh, second-team quarterback saying that Ohio State's uh, uh, defense is extraordinarily basic, I believe, were his words. So this, that's going to be, uh, you know, like Ohio State needed any more ammunition going into this big matchup. But um, so, Josh, uh, who, who do you think is going to have the upper hand here in a, a battle between two uh, national title winning coaches? Hmm, that's a good question. Can I do the Kirk Herbstreit cop out and say that I'm calling the game so I don't need to pick a winner? No. Oh, okay. Well, Ohio State is very, very young. And playing in Norman is always difficult. The fact that I don't see a two-loss team being able to crawl the way back is kind of a must-win for Oklahoma is also concerning. And to add to it, Ohio State's defense has been very advantageous. They picked off a uh, air raid attack in Tulsa left and right in their win last week. So they, they're a very opportunistic defense. But Baker Mayfield yet to throw an interception this year. And despite the Houston loss, his numbers are actually pretty good on the year. I don't think he was the reason why 
Oklahoma lost. So that seems to indicate a three positives for the Sooners to win. However, you don't ever bet against Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes. Ohio State will find a way to win, and that's because JT Barrett is playing like a kid who's going to be in New York City with a good shot at winning the Heisman. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I feel that Samaje Piran, Joe Mixon, and the fact that they're playing in Norman, Oklahoma, give the Sooners a good, good chance. The Sooners are tough at home. They have their backs against the wall, so they're always tough when it comes to that. They always seem to kind of find their way into some wins that they should that they shouldn't get. And they sometimes they kind of find their way into losses that they shouldn't get. Um, so that that's what's going. Uh, the 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 uh, first half of that statement is kind of what they have going for them um, in that regard. What worries me about this team is that sometimes when they get in games like this, they get tight and they play tight and they press a little bit. And when you press. Everyone knows what happens when you press. I know for me personally, when I press and really try to try extra hard on something, I that's when I usually screw it up the most. Um, and they're going to be tight in this game because they know that a two-loss team is not going to go to the playoff. They know they need this and they need it badly. And I think when Baker Mayfield gets this idea in his head that he and only he can win the game, uh, that's when he gets himself into trouble. And that's the it, – it's almost becoming like what Ole Miss had with Bo Wallace, where it was good Bo, bad Bo. You might be seeing good Baker, bad Baker uh, start to emerge. I'm not 100% sold on Baker Mayfield. I think he's a good quarterback, but I think that's all he is is a good quarterback. I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's ready to win this game. JT Barrett is a guy I would say – uh, like Josh said, he's going to be in New York, and he's playing like that. And he's going to lead this bunch of young kids into this game. Uh, and, and I think they're going to – it's going to be a tough game because it is a road game for the Buckeyes. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest factors, and I think that they're uh, uh, well-coached enough to kind of overcome that. So I think that once they get through the initial surge of the Sooners – I think when this game settles in and becomes a football game, then Ohio State comes out ahead. It's going to be a close one. Um, it won't be a blowout. I'd be very shocked if it was a blowout. Um, but I do think they win. I do think the Buckeyes will win this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tight one. I'm interested to see the matchup between those two Oklahoma running backs and Raekwon McMillan, the All-America linebacker from Ohio State, because that dude can fly around the field. So if he's shutting blocks, getting to those guys in the backfield before they can pick up a head of steam, it's going to be a long day, for, uh, especially for Baker Mayfield, because he's going to be asked to air it out a lot. But we expect Oklahoma to really go with uh, that strong rushing attack to uh, you know get after Ohio State, get to the second level, and uh, make some plays. So um, it is. I would, say, I would say this, though, Matt, since you brought up the coaching is going to be the better coach. Stoops needs to just take a deep breath and not do any of his goofy gambling stuff. He, I wouldn't say he's like overly aggressive, like going for it a million times, 
he'll do things that are like, just why? Why, why not play it safe when you're such a good team? And I think a kick six against Houston highlights that. You know your kicker's range. Why are you doing that? Just punt it. Yeah, that, that's that, that, that's a very very good point. Big game Bob has not necessarily been coming up in the bigger game, yeah. and, and those are the those are the mistakes uh, Staben and Amire just eat you alive for doing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, it's time to move on to our final segment, some spread formations where we pick games against the line. So, uh, our first one, uh, we've got Middle Tennessee State. Uh, uh, giving five points at Bowling Green. So MTSU, five-point favorites, uh, heading up to Bowling Green. Uh, so, Josh, who have you got here? Well, definitely some growing pains for the Falcons with uh, a new coach as Dino Babers headed off to Syracuse. And, uh, you know, they struggled against Ohio State and they had kind of a flat performance against hockey powerhouse North Dakota, not the Bison of North Dakota State just North Dakota. Uh, so as a result, I'm going to go with Middle Tennessee State, a little bit more of a sure thing. Brent Stock still putting up numbers like you'd expect. Coach? Yeah, I like I like the Blue Raiders there. Brent Stock still, uh, anytime he's behind, under center, he's, uh, he's the guy for me. I think they're going to cover and then so. All right. Uh, next game, uh, Battle of the Southern Intellectual Powerhouses. Vandy at Georgia Tech, who are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Josh? Oh, well, yeah. I didn't give my pick for the last one. I'm also taking MTSU. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm also taking well, MTSU. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one, it, this one's tough. Georgia Tech looked really pretty flat out there in Ireland against BC. I'm not sure how much of that is BC having a good defense. I'm not sure how much of that is the, um, the travel. But Georgia Tech kind of followed it up with another sort of ho-hum win against Mercer, I kind of like Vanderbilt hanging around. So so I'll take those points and, and anchor down with the doors. Yeah. Coach? I'm, I'm, I'm going to anchor down as well. I, I think not only are they going to cover, but I think they're going to win this one because I, for whatever reason, Georgia Tech is just they're a flat team right now. They And you can usually tell kind of the, the, the tempo of the season, or not really the tempo, but the mindset of, of the season. Um they do, you know, every team has a flat game. I'm not going to say that there's there's not a single team out there that's immune to it. But Georgia Tech just seems to be sleepwalking through everything. They haven't woken up yet. Um, and I don't know. They undersigned. I don't know that they have a whole lot of depth, quality depth, I should say. Um, so that might be a factor as well. Uh, Vanderbilt is trending upward, and I think Georgia Tech is trending downward. So, you know, give me the doors. Yeah, give me the doors in a first to 13 wins this game. So um, our next spread formation um, is the Buffs, Colorado, heading into the big house to take on Michigan, who are 20-point favorites at home. Uh, so, Josh, you have been singing the praises of uh, Coach Levitt. Uh, you you going to take them here? Well, first of all, I just want to say this is an intriguing game. The, these three teams played each other uh, three times in the 90s, obviously, the 94 game, the, the miracle, was the uh, the most famous of the ones. Cordell Stewart hit that Hail Mary. I'm sure Michigan is going to be honoring former Colorado coach and Bo Schembechler assistant Bill McCartney as he uh, continues to battle Alzheimer's in, in his life. He's the Hall of Fame coach. So it's, it's an interesting game. Colorado's given up just 14 points on the year. 
Michigan has blown out Hawaii and Central Florida. Neither of them are great competition. So it's tough, tough to know. I'm leaning towards the buffs just because Power 5 teams don't drop each other by 21 points as often as people think they do. And so I'll say Colorado can hang around. You know, maybe I'll get made a fool of at this time in a couple of days when we do our recap. But I think the Colorado Buffaloes are just vastly improved. And, and a Pac-12 team isn't going to be, like, totally hapless. I mean, they got some talent on their team. Coach? Yeah, I do. And Michigan's playing at a, at a really high level right now. Um, I think they cover, but I think they barely cover. I think they cover by a point, but they still cover, I believe. I'm going to go Michigan. Okay, yeah. Uh, so so you, got, you have Michigan winning, Colorado covering. No, I have Michigan winning and barely covering. Oh, okay. So you got Michigan up by, by 21 points. All right. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I'm with you here. I'm going to go Colorado uh, to cover that 20 point just because I don't think that Michigan is going to score more than – you know, 31, 32 points. That means they just have to put up, you know, two touchdowns basically. And I think that Colorado can do that. So uh, give me, uh, I'll grab all those points on the road. Our next game, uh, Pitt coming off of a victory over Penn State travels to uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, the the Cowpokes are four and a half point favorites at home in Stillwater coming off of that uh, absurd ending from last week. So, Josh, do you think Oklahoma State is going to have a hangover here and let uh, Pitt upset them at home? Well, this one's pretty easy for me. I was not buying much Cowboy stock in the offseason. I thought they would struggle with Central Michigan, even without the shenanigans at the end. They were outplayed for stretches of that game. I got Pitt my ACC title game for a reason, baby. I don't care about the points. Pitt's going to win straight up. Done. Ooh, all right. Coach. Well, Josh, I feel like I should disagree with you, but I don't want to, and I'm not. So I'm going to go Pitt as well. So uh, I'm still on the Panthers. Yeah, I, I bought the most Oklahoma State stock uh, before the season, had them as the runner-up in the Big 12, and it is a freaking fire sale here in Los Angeles for me. I am selling it off like it's Black like it's Black Tuesday. Um, so give me, give me Pitt. Give me, let me get those four and a half points. I think they're going to win outright as well. Oklahoma State is just going to be – I still think that they are in so much shock after the victory – uh, that got snatched out of their hands last week. I think it's absurd that their student newspaper is at, is demanding that Central Michigan give up the win. That's not going to happen. That's just a that's just a waste of everyone's time. So give me Pitt um, minus or plus four and a half on the road. And finally, um, it's our favorite team to bet against. Um, Rock Chalk Jayhawk invades Memphis, who are twenty point favorites at home. Our second twenty point line of the week. So uh, Josh. Kansas lost Ohio last week. Uh, can they beat another uh, group? Can they go ahead and flip the switch and beat a group of five school here on the road? Well, what does it matter if they beat them or not? It's a 20-point spread. It's all about Memphis. Can Memphis cover that? Uh, so Kansas's leading rusher has 85 yards. Memphis's leading rusher has 86 yards. Slight problem, though. Kansas has played two games. Memphis has played one. Give me the Tigers. They win by 28. Ooh. Coach? Well, it'd be extremely foolish of me to pick 
against Memphis here. Uh, so I'm going to go – Memphis is picking up some steam now. They, they've got some, a couple uh, big-name uh, national prospects, uh, Obina Easy and T.J. Carter, uh, committed. So they're doing some big things down there. I think they're trying to make a Big 12 run, and, and, and this, is, this is the way they're going to do it. They're going to smack Kansas right in the mouth. Um, and I think the first digit of their uh, margin of victory starts with, with a three. Yeah, Coach, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, Obina Easy, I was out there with you this summer uh, while you were coaching at some of your clinics and got to see him up close and personal. That kid is that kid's going to be a beast. He's got some of the best uh, feet uh, for a big guy that I have ever seen. Uh, he is well, he's awesome. And he's 6'8". Yeah. He's 6'8", and he has, uh, I think, a, I mean, he has a – Almost eight foot wingspan. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and but he, he his feet are so quick. He's going to be an absolutely outstanding left tackle for Memphis going forward. So um, I am going to. But here, Rock Chalk Jayhawk just uh, they're not going to be able to do it. They can't storm the field in Memphis because they're also a they're not playing Rhode Island and b they're going to get blowed out. Give me Memphis by twenty five. So um, that's going to wrap it up for us today. I want to make a quick note here. Uh, I saw a tweet by Darren Ravel earlier today. Give you a map of the most popular college football teams by state based on uh, sales in that state of different universities. Josh, you'll be very proud to know that the University of Iowa not is only, not only the number one team in Iowa, but also in three other states. Can you name them? Ooh, the three other states. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. Well, people in Idaho would get confused. Nope. Idaho, Idaho was so similar. Idaho went with, with Oregon as their number one team. Oh, no love for Boise State. Wow. Um, maybe the Dakotas? Uh, one of them, South Dakota. North All Dakota, right. North Dakota is also Oregon territory. That's weird. Uh, and the other one, let's see. I'm going to go with Kansas. No, Kansas is Oklahoma territory. The other two are Minnesota and Nebraska. That is super embarrassing for those both programs, but especially the Gophers. It is especially it's especially embarrassing for all those. Don't worry, Coach. Georgia owns the state of Georgia. Wisconsin owns the state of Wisconsin. But the team that owns the most states, obviously, Notre Dame. Notre Dame has all of New England except for Maine, who, seem, who seemingly roots for Michigan, plus New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Virginia, Indiana, and Illinois, and Delaware. They are killing it on the on the apparel front. So um, with, uh, with Oregon coming in second, getting five states, with Oregon, Utah, Idaho, Montana, and North Dakota. So I thought that was interesting. So um, any final words from you guys? Yeah. What, I about, one- Tennessee? what about Tennessee? What, what is the state of Tennessee? Who owns that one? UT. Uh, I was thinking Bama had a shot. No, Bama's got Alabama North and North Carolina. And Missouri. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I just want to run two crazy numbers by you guys. These are some unofficial spreads, but they caught my eye. Didn't quite make the show, but I'm going to force them in here. Uh, South Florida, 14-point favorite on the road at an ACC school. That kind of caught my eye. And Texas Cal, the over-under, is at 81. Wow. Yeah, baby. Uh, Davis Webb and uh, Shane Bouchelle going to be putting up some big numbers. So, all right, Coach, any last words from you? 
I think Texas and Texas Tech agreed to uh, go on air. That might be more challenging. <laughs> well, that would be that would I would probably watch that more than I would watch a uh, actual game between those two. But that is going to do it for our uh, our week three preview here on Illegal Motion. So, on behalf of the coach Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of our intrepid blogger Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor Matt Perkins from Los Angeles, California, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah! Nice! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.